Welcome to the Blue Stocking Baptist Podcast. My name is Hannah Oliver, and our podcast is an informal podcast for women with intelligent and literary interests related to Christian doctrine and life. My co-host, Esther Faulkner, is currently not here with me. She is with her husband taking a basic missional theology class for two weeks, and then an Old Testament and New Testament survey class for two weeks. They're very intense classes since it's put into such a short period of time. So Esther and I had decided originally that we were going to take a break for the month of June from releasing any podcasts because we have a desire to only produce content that is uh, quality that we have the time to invest in. Uh, We spend several weeks in preparation for our episodes. We spend a lot of time studying and reading different books watching sermons, talking, and then we normally, um, we meet over Skype and um, we we tend to build an outline together. So my family had back-to-back sickness. Then we went on vacation for a week in California to go to Yosemite. And at that same time, Esther went with her husband to this um, four-week class. So we just have not had time to record a podcast together. So I've decided to do a very short podcast on the Baptist Catechism, what the Baptist Catechism is, and I was going to read a couple of different questions and answers um, to give you an idea of the particular Baptist heritage and to inform you that the Baptists do have a uh, do have a catechism if you were not aware. So just a little bit of information on what the catechism is. It's 118 question and answers regarding the basic particular Baptist faith. It is commonly associated with the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith, which is the confession that both Esther and I hold to. It's commonly called Keech's Catechism, but it was likely compiled by William Collins, who had helped Keech draft the 1689 Confession. So it was officially published in 1693. So it's also commonly called the 1693 Baptist Catechism, or it's also known as the 1677 Baptist Catechism. A little bit more information on Benjamin Keach. He is a particular Baptist minister. He was of the Puritan persuasion and was born February 29th in 1640. Keach was originally baptized as an infant and came to a Baptist conviction at quite a young age and was actually re-baptized at the age of 15. When he was 18, he became a non-ordained preacher for a Baptist church, for a general Baptist church in Winslow, Buckinghamshire. And then in 1668, he was actually ordained as an elder of a different general Baptist congregation based in Tooley Street in Southwark. Keach progressively started to become more Calvinistic in his soteriology. And so in 1672, Keach declared himself officially a Calvinist, and he founded a particular Baptist church in Horsleydown, Southwark. The church that he actually founded later came under the pastoral ministry of famous preachers such as John Gill and Charles Spurgeon. The catechism is also based off of the shorter catechism and was the basis for Spurgeon's catechism in the late 19th century. That's a little bit about Benjamin Keach and where the Baptist catechism comes from. And today I want to read 
question 51, question 52, question 53, and question 54 and talk about what is the first commandment. So question 51 says, which is the first commandment? And the answer is, the first commandment is, thou shalt have no other gods before me. This can be found in Exodus 23. If you're familiar with the text, it is when God gave the Ten Commandments. Um, God said himself that the first commandment is, thou shalt have no other gods before me. So it is God directly speaking to Moses. And Moses then took the, the law to the Israelites as the very words of God. So question 52 says, what is required in the first commandment? The answer is the first commandment requires us to know and acknowledge God to be the only true God and our God and to worship and glorify him accordingly. I really like this one because it shows us that only God is worthy of our worship. Um, breaking the first commandment is commonly called idolatry. When we break the first commandment, we are guilty of idolatry. And so this kind of explains what is required to not break the first commandment. And that's to know and acknowledge God as the only true God and our God and to worship and glorify him accordingly. So I just read it again. And the proof texts to defend this are Joshua 25, 15, 1 Chronicles 28, 9, Deuteronomy 26, 17, Psalm 29, 2, and Matthew 4, 10. So I'm going to read them. Joshua 24, 15 says, If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourself today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I feel like this verse is actually pretty well known in both the Reformed tradition and um, just modern evangelicalism today. I, I feel like you see this verse a lot on wooden signs in homes uh, saying, as for me and my home, we will serve the Lord. And so it's a declaration of only serving the one true God and to not follow after idols made out of wood that cannot speak and cannot see or um, a declaration to follow the Lord's commandments, which are good and holy. The next one is First Chronicles 28, 9. It says, as for you, my son Solomon, Know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every intent of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will let you find him. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. So this is basically a call to believe in the Lord. Um, also, under, You also need to understand um, that the Lord searches all of our hearts. He knows everything that we think, everything that we believe, everything that we feel. None of our thoughts or feelings are hidden from God. And so this is telling you that God is above any other creature. He is all-knowing and he is worthy of our adoration and worship. And that if we reject the Lord... If we do not believe in him by faith, we will be rejected and we will face the punishment of not coming to him, of worshiping him, of serving him only, of believing in him for our salvation. 
The next verse is Deuteronomy 26, 17. And it says, You have today declared the Lord to be your God and that you would walk in his ways and keep his statutes, his commandments, and his ordinance and listen to his voice. Psalm 29, 2 says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. Worship the Lord in holy array. So this psalm is a psalm of David, and it's telling us that we owe worship to the Lord. And it it tells us um, that we need to ascribe glory that is due to his name, that he's worthy of our worship. I like verse 3 and 4 as well. It says, The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. I really like Psalm 29 because it just shows how powerful our God is, how amazing he is, um, that he is worthy of our praise. He's worthy of being worshipped. And so we we know that the first commandment requires that we shall have no other gods before me. And then question 52 expresses that we are only to worship the one true God. And so these verses are showing what that looks like. Matthew 4.10 says, Then Jesus said to him, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So this is Jesus uh, during the 40 days um, in the desert, 40 days and 40 nights. He fasted and was in the desert. He was tempted by Satan. Satan came to Jesus and attempted to tempt Jesus to worship him. And so Satan says in verse 9, all these things I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. And Jesus's response, which I just read, was for Satan to go because the the word of God says, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The reference in my Bible for that verse can be found in Deuteronomy 6, 13 and 10, 20. So Jesus is quoting the word of God to Satan. He is telling Satan that there is only one God worthy of worship and praise, and it is not Satan. And Jesus is not going to bow down and worship Satan, and neither should we. We owe our allegiance to the only true God, the God which is three persons in one being. That is the God who we worship, and Jesus Jesus makes very clear that we are to serve the Lord our God and serve him only. Um, so the next question is question 53. It says, what is forbidden in the first commandment? The answer is the first commandment forbids the denying or not worshiping and glorifying the true God as God and our God and the giving that worship and glory to another, which is due unto him alone. So this is explaining to us that we are not to deny that the Lord exists. Um, we know in scripture that the fool says that there is no God. The commandment also forbids are not worshiping and glorifying the true God. So any atheist who denies God is guilty of breaking the first commandment. And any person, whether they, in, they are in a different religion or are an agnostic, whatever they may claim, if they are not worshiping the true God or in glorifying him, they are guilty of breaking the first commandment. So this is a very broad, um, very broad catch-all for what the first commandment forbids because it forbids any form of 
idolatry in the form of actual carved idols, which would be more common in uh, Israel's time of carving out wooden objects, or in Israel's case, they built a golden calf right after God gave the law to Moses and Moses came down off the mountain and they were worshiping a golden calf saying, this is our God who brought us out of Egypt. Um, and so any form, even if our our worship appears to be orthodox, if we are worshiping something that is not actually the true living God, in attributing his work and glory to another, whether it's a person, an idol, a golden calf, ourselves, whatever it may be, it is idolatry and it is forbidden. So Joshua 24, 27 says, Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be for a witness against us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord which he spoke to us. Thus it shall be for a witness against you, so that you do not deny your God. So this is a reminder um, that that the Lord is giving them a stone, which is going to be a witness against the Israelites um, as a reminder of all the words that the Lord had spoken to them. And it is a witness even against them so that they do not deny God. So it is another reminder of who God is to remind them of who to worship and to remind them who has um, saved them, who's their redeemer, who's their savior. Um, another verse is Romans 1, 20 and 21. This says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. So this is just a reminder of unbelievers who reject God, who do not worship him or give thanks to God, even though his general revelation has been revealed to them uh, in creation. No one can deny that there is a God because he's made himself evident. And then we have his special revelation, which is the word of God. And so anyone who denies God is a fool and they will have hearts that are darkened. And so it is just a reminder that we need to worship the only true and living God and believe in his gospel. The next verse is... Psalm 14, 1. Psalm 14.1 says, The fool has said in his heart there is no God. They are corrupt and they have committed abominable deeds. I'd already made reference to this verse, but the uh, second half of the verse also shows that not only do they deny God, but they are corrupt and have committed abominable deeds. So not only have they broken the first commandment, but they have also broken God's other commandments, which I'm not covering today, but they are lawbreakers. They are guilty and they need a savior. The next verse is Romans one twenty five, which is a continuation of what I just read previously. It says, for they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served creature rather than creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. 
So this shows that man has, we have a propensity to deny God and then turn and worship creation. So that can look like worshiping self, which is very common in in American culture. We are a very um, individualistic, self-focused group of people in our nation. We had talked on our last episode about the idolatry of technology. And so even seemingly neutral things can become idols, things that we don't suspect to be drawing our attention away from God can very well be our source of worship and affection. And so we need to remember that Anything can become an idol in our lives. And so we need to be constantly reflecting and looking inwardly in in our own hearts to see if we are breaking the first commandment. So question 54 is the last question and answer that we'll be reading. And it said, what are we especially taught by these words before me in the first commandment? So if you remember back to Exodus 23, it says, you shall have no other gods before me. And so it's God talking about himself. And the answer is these words before me in the first commandment teach us that God who sees all things takes notice of and is much displeased with the sin of having any other God. So we have to remember that God is holy. There is no sin in him. And we had also read a verse earlier that talked about that he knows the thoughts of man. So God knows all things. He knows when we have idols that um, are taking the place of God. And it displeases God. The sin of breaking the first commandment is displeasing in his sight. And so the verses that... um, are given as proof texts in the catechism are Deuteronomy 30, 17, and 18. And it says, But if your heart turns away, and you will not obey, but are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You will not prolong your days in the land where you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess it. We also see in Psalm 44, 20, and 22, If we have forgotten the name of our God or extended our hands to a strange God, would not God find this out? For he knows the secret of the heart. So again, God knows all things. He knows our hearts. And this is talking about if they had forgotten God and extended their hands to strange gods, God knows. And so if we have idols in our lives and we have stretched our hands out to strange gods, whatever form those gods take, It is idolatry and it's offensive to God and he knows. And so we need to turn and repent. Psalm 98 says, You have placed our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. So after reading these question and answers, we need to also address the issue of the threefold use of the law. So R.C. Sproul tells us that the first purpose of the law is to be a mirror. On the one hand, the law of God reflects and mirrors the perfect righteousness of God. The law tells us much about who God is. Perhaps more important, the law illumines human sinfulness. Augustine wrote, The law orders that we, after attempting to do what is ordered, and so feeling our weaknesses under the law, may learn to implore the help of grace. The law highlights our weaknesses so that we might seek the strength found in Christ. Here the law acts as a severe schoolmaster who drives us to Christ. 
R.C. Sproul continues in the second purpose of the law. He says it is the restraint of evil. The law in and of itself cannot change human hearts. It can, however, serve to protect the righteous from the unjust. Calvin says this purpose is, quote, by means of its fearful denunciation and the consequence dread consequent dread of punishment to curb those who unless forced have no regard for the rectitude and justice unquote the law allows for a limited measure of justice on this earth until the last judgment is realized and the last quote of rc sproul is the third purpose of the law which is to reveal what is pleasing to god as born-again children of god the law enlightens us to what is pleasing to our father whom we seek to serve the christian delights in the law as god himself delights in it Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments in John 14, 15. This is the highest function of the law to serve as an instrument for the people of God to give him honor and glory. I don't want to just share these question and answers from the Baptist Catechism and then not give any hope. Esther and I always try to remind you of what the gospel is because the gospel is the hope for the Christian and the hope for the unbeliever. As we see, we know that we are all lawbreakers. We are all guilty of breaking the first commandment. It comes in many different forms and we've all broken it in various different ways. And that's only the first out of the 10 commandments. And so we see the first use of the law being put into use. It is a mirror. It is to show us that God is, perfect righteousness is what we fail to live up to that we are sinful creatures who disobey the commands of God and so without the gospel without a savior to come we are without hope but we know that Jesus Christ came to earth lived the perfect life that we could not live he kept the law perfectly And then he died the death that we deserve, atoning for our sin, being the sacrifice, bearing on the cross the wrath of God in his own body, and taking upon him our iniquities. The Lord then was buried, and he rose again three days later, conquering sin and death. And because Jesus lives and reigns and is now sitting at the right hand of the Father, he is our constant mediator. If we believe that Jesus Christ's death on the cross is sufficient to save us from our sins, his righteousness will be imputed to us. He, he cleanses us from sin when we believe in Jesus Christ's gospel message. And so we all need to remember that, yes, we are lawbreakers, but there is good news. And the good news is what Jesus has done on our behalf. It is accomplished. It is done. And if we trust in the gospel, we have a sweet assurance. We have a living hope, as I believe First Peter describes it. We are adopted into the family of God, and we have a future inheritance in glory with the Father. And so third use of the law is to reveal what is pleasing to God, to obey the commands of God and, and see them as good and to delight in them. And so... The process of sanctification is ongoing. We are made alive in Christ. We are justified. We are reconciled to God. But we have this ongoing process of the already not yet of still living in a sinful world. And we still wrestle with our flesh. We're still sinners. And we will still continue to break the first commandment until 
the Lord takes us home. And so instead of growing discouraged, we need to look to Jesus and look to his gospel and and rest in him. And as we strive to mortify our flesh, reminding ourselves that sanctification is an ongoing process, it is a grace of God in our life and we trust the Lord that who is the author and perfecter of our faith to sanctify us. And so if you are wrestling with the fact that you have broken the first commandment, remember the gospel and repent. Turn from your sin and go to Jesus. This is our hope in life. The Christian life is a life of repentance and turning back to Christ in his gospel, being comforted by his gospel and what he's accomplished for us. That concludes this episode. I hope that it was edifying for you. I hope that you learned something about the Baptist Catechism. I would highly encourage you to purchase a copy. I've been using um, the online version. I can link a, a I can link it in the show notes if you would like to just use the online version. There's a Kindle version on Amazon for only ninety nine cents. Definitely read over it. They are they are simple. They are easy to remember. That's that's what their intent is is to be something that you you meditate on and you remember um, at, for the basic doctrines of the Christian faith. I also want to request your prayer for Esther and her husband, Joey. Since they are doing this intense four-week class, just pray that the Lord would be gracious to them, that they would be able to retain the information that they learn, um, and that they will travel safe because they're currently not in their own home or their own space. Um, just be praying for safety and um that they will um, enjoy their time, make friends, and learn a lot. Also, if you don't, if you didn't know that Esther and Joey are pre-filled missionaries, I would highly encourage you to listen to our episode on um, their journey to becoming missionaries to Ecuador. It's on our website. You can search in the search bar, missionaries to Ecuador. I also um, would like to request on behalf of Esther that you would – consider supporting them financially they have yet to reach their um, goal for being sent to Ecuador they still have a lot of money that they need to raise and um, your support I know is appreciated appreciated whether it's prayer or financially if you want to learn more about that you can also find it on the podcast show notes of the missionaries to Ecuador Esther and Joey are also always happy to have phone conversations or FaceTime you if you want to know more about them and what they feel God is calling them to um Esther doesn't know that I'm sharing this, so this is just a shameless plug for Esther. But I would highly encourage you to at least just know what they're doing and pray for them. So just to uh, conclude this episode, remember that we have a Facebook page. I have been um, not updating it as frequently, but we try to post uh, our podcasts when we release them on there and other various articles and things like that. We also have a Twitter at she Baptist and we have an Instagram called at the blue stocking Baptist. So if you have any questions, if you're looking for a healthy church, you are always welcome to email us at the blue stocking Baptist at gmail.com. We'll try to get back to you as soon as we can, but thank you so much ladies for joining us. I hope that this blessed you and that it was edifying and I hope you join us next time. God bless. Thank you.